Welcome. You've arrived at yet another Physics Central podcast. I'm Tamla Masil, and today we're talking about the 85% of missing matter in the universe, rather fittingly known as dark matter. After decades of searching for this missing mass, scientists still have an easier time defining dark matter by what it isn't than what it is. Today I'm talking with two researchers who will take us back to the early days of dark matter research, as well as two astrophysicists who are currently looking for dark matter and who think that a discovery may be just around the corner. But let's start at the beginning. I spoke with graduate student Jakob de Zwart when he recently visited the American Physical Society archives here in D.C. I am Jakob de Zwart. Um, I am a master's student at the University of Amsterdam, and I am currently working on my master's project, which is on the history of dark matter. I asked him when did astronomers first realize that a theory of dark matter was necessary. The first time would be in 1933 uh, when Fritz Zwicky, an astronomer um, at Caltech, noticed that there was something wrong with the velocities of galaxies and clusters of galaxies, which were rotating way too fast to be a stable cluster. And he thought of this concept of dunkel materie, which is uh, the German word for dark matter, um, to make sense of why these clusters of galaxies are clustered in the first place. Astronomers knew the velocities were too fast because by counting up all of the galaxies in a cluster, and estimating their total mass, they could calculate the total gravitational force of the cluster, and from that, how fast the galaxies could rotate without flying off into space. But their calculated speeds were much lower than what was observed, and it was as if some unknown force or unseen matter was helping to hold the galaxies together. Several decades later, the techniques of radio astronomy developed and allowed detailed measurements of individual galaxy rotations based on the redshifted spectra of hydrogen gas within the galaxies. Neutral hydrogen emits strongly at a radio wavelength of 21 centimeters. And by tracking this emission line from the center of a galaxy out to its edge, astronomers could build a so-called rotation curve plot, which shows the speed of the gas at different distances from the core. For example, um, Morton Roberts, who's a radio astronomer, and he made uh, wonderful rotation curves at the time from neutral hydrogen, which is the stuff which is far out of sight of the galaxy um, and which emits a very specific pattern, which you can also measure the velocity of. The problem was Newton's theories expected this curve to decrease to lower speeds as the distance from the galaxy center increased based on the observed mass of all the stars and gas. But the curves were coming back flat, showing that the speed remained the same out to large distances. This could only be a stable solution if there was a large amount of invisible mass binding the galaxy together, or if Newton was wrong. Robert Sanders was an astrophysicist at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory back in the 1970s when these results were first being presented. He recalls that the rotation curves of galaxies made with radio telescopes were initially doubted by the astronomy community. Uh, it is said that, that whenever a new result comes along, a, a sort of a, an unexpected result, uh, the first reaction is to question the observation. I was in a meeting in, in 1974, I remember in Aspen. I was then at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory, where, where uh, Mort Roberts also was a senior member of the staff. And he gave a talk on rotation curves, and people were really you know, fighting him about this. He was giving his talk on M31, the Andromeda Galaxy. 
And uh, the Aspen Center for Physics has talks outside uh, in sort of a tent area. And behind him, we're building up this ominous kind of thundercloud. And it was, they were getting more and more ominous. But he didn't see them he, because he was facing us. And he said something like, um, he made a very strong statement. He said, I can tell you this rotation curve is flat out to two photometric radii. And then there came this enormous clap of thunder immediately after he said that. And he looked up and he said, okay, okay, one and a half, one and a half foot radii. It was, it was a very dramatic moment. Because radio astronomy was still a relatively new field, many people assumed errors from the radio telescopes were confusing the data. It wasn't until Vera Rubin made optical measurements of galaxy rotations and found the same excessively high velocities that many astronomers started taking the missing mass theories more seriously. These optical observations, primarily by Vera Rubin and her collaborators, had a major impact on the sociology of, uh, of accepting dark matter, that there was really an anomaly in galaxies. Since the 1970s, astronomers have been looking everywhere for this missing mass, now known as dark matter, but to no avail. Some researchers, like Robert Sanders, have also considered the possibility that Newton's famous F equals ma equation is not quite correct for small accelerations in a theory called Modified Newtonian Dynamics, or MOND. This is an understandably controversial theory, but until the nature of dark matter is revealed, the jury is still out. Here's what we do know about dark matter. Our telescopes can't see it, so it doesn't produce light. It doesn't feel the electromagnetic force. We also don't see any evidence of it interacting with the strong force, which binds neutrons and protons together in the cores of atoms. The only remaining forces of nature are the force of gravity and the weak force, which is responsible for the radioactive decay process. You know, there's a good argument that it should have a weak, or that it might have a weak interaction. And this has to do with the, the abundance now of dark matter is, you know, something like 80-85% of the mass in the universe, or the matter in the universe, I should say, is, is dark matter. And it's very interesting. Where does that number come from? Well, you know, it's, physicists ask that, right? Any number we measure, we say, why? That was Harry Nelson, a physicist at UC Santa Barbara and spokesperson for the Large Underground Xenon Dark Matter Detector, or LUX, in Lead, South Dakota. Turns out, you know, if during the Big Bang, the dark matter interacted via the weak interaction with our matter, then you can describe this 80% pretty easily. And that's called the weak miracle, by the way. And that's the motivation for looking for a present-day weak interaction of the dark matter. The best candidate for dark matter today is called the WIMP, or weakly interacting massive particle which, as its name suggests, is a particle that only interacts via gravity and the weak force. While there aren't many dark matter particles around our Earth, and while they only rarely interact, many dark matter detectors today are set up on Earth, hoping to directly catch a passing WIMP. The basic idea in WIMP detections, you use some form of matter. We use liquid xenon. Some other people use liquid argon. We tend to like elements that have large atomic weights. and it's as simple as you get a lot more chances for the wimp to hit something. It's just billiard balls. These huge vats of matter, whether liquid or solid, are buried deep underground to shield them from the background cosmic rays which might trigger a false detection. They are cooled to nearly zero degrees Kelvin, and then the researchers simply wait for a tiny vibration or a flash of light which might signal a passing dark matter particle. 
Lux is one of the leading direct detection experiments. But there are many others, including the Dama experiment, buried in the mountains of Gran Sasso, Italy, which for the last 15 years has been reporting a possible dark matter signal, as well as the Xenon dark matter experiment, also based in Gran Sasso, but which has not yet found such a signal. Thus, scientists are still awaiting further data. There is also a whole suite of so-called indirect detectors, which look for evidence of dark matter through other processes. Dan Hooper is a leading dark matter theorist at Fermilab in Chicago, and he believes that the Fermi Gamma Ray Telescope, currently in orbit around the Earth, may already be seeing hints of dark matter in the center of our Milky Way. I think it's fairly likely that um, the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope is actually seeing some evidence of WIMPs interacting. There's a signal that they've detected from the center of the Milky Way that looks a lot like what you'd expect WIMPs would look like, um, and it's pretty hard to explain with other things. And um, it's certainly not a confirmed discovery at this point, but it's pretty suggestive, and uh, I would be happy to take an even-odds bet that this will turn out to be uh, evidence of dark matter particles. And in 2013, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, or AMS experiment, based on the International Space Station, found an excess of high-energy cosmic rays, which could also be explained as the byproduct of dark matter interactions. We're still waiting for confirmation and cross-checks of the indirect signals reported by Fermi and AMS, as well as the possible direct signal from DAMA in Italy. But according to Harry Nelson, these could be the first tantalizing hints that we're nearing a discovery. So this is kind of like Columbus when they were sailing to the west, would wake, they'd wake up every morning and hope they would see land, right? First you see seagulls, and then you see some, like a, a tree that's been washed out to sea from the land and stuff like that. So maybe they had some precursing hints. Maybe we've had precursing hints already with Dama and so forth, okay? But uh, we're in that situation where, where every new data set at this point could bring in the signal. When the nature of dark matter is finally revealed, it promises to fill in the 85% missing matter gap in our understanding of the universe. And hopefully, it will start to address some of the many unanswered questions in astronomy today. There are a lot of questions I'd like to ask. I'd like to, to ask in more detail, like how galaxies form and what's dark matter's role in that. Um, I'd like to know not only what kind of particle is the dark matter, but how was it formed in the early universe? And for that matter, what can dark matter tell us about the universe uh, a fraction of a second after the Big Bang? And then also, you know, if you think that there's a theory of everything or a grand unified theory, and knowing what the dark matter particles are like um, gets you one step closer to figuring out what that theory might look like. It's, you know, if you want to assemble a, a puzzle and figure out what the, the image on the puzzle is, every piece you, you put down gets you a lot closer to seeing that picture. If the history of scientific discoveries is any guide, then the discovery of dark matter is sure to raise just as many questions as it answers. We may be on the brink of a new scientific revolution that will trigger a fundamental shift in our view of the universe. That's all for us today. Thank you very much to Jakob Zwart, Robert Sanders, Harry Nelson, and Dan Hooper for joining me. To find out more about the history of dark matter and our present-day search, check out our blog, Physics Buzz, on the APS Physics Central website. I'm Tamla Masil, and thanks for listening. <laughs>